0: Sometimes you just want to bury the recording, or uh, or you laugh about it, or cry about it. But anyway, I want to welcome you to Union Grove Baptist Church of Whitehall. This is one of the oldest Baptist churches in Texas, probably one of the ten oldest churches, which is kind of fascinating. It's been here since <clears throat> we think the 1840s, not as a church, but as a group, and then in the 1870s it became a existing church. John was instrumental in renaming this I learned as I went through the corporate documents and I believe he was the person that renamed this the Union Grove Baptist Church of Whitehall because there's another Union Grove Baptist Church in Richards and it was all kinds of confusion so on the corporate change I saw John's name and he was the treasurer here treasurer here for a long time about the time I met him so welcome Uh, on behalf of the family isn't that a joke because the family's all here Usually I say on behalf of the family, we thank you for coming. Well, you are the family, so y'all can thank one another for coming. I'm glad we're here today to honor John, to honor the Lord, and to learn from his life. And so I'm just ecstatic that the family chose to have this service in this place. This was a very important place. This was the last place where John and Anita, as a couple, uh, had their membership and, and really were involved in, in a integral part of this little fellowship and kept this church alive for a season until God called us. And my wife is here, Sandy. And she came with me and in, in July. We'll finish five years here uh, as the, I'm the minister, I'm the pastor now of this congregation and excited to be so. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are a great God. Lord, I thank you that you are bigger than us and all of our mess ups. Lord, I thank you that you are with us today. You are always beside us even when we don't know it. So Lord, I pray that you would be here in every prayer that's prayed today, every word that's spoken. Lord, that we that maybe perhaps even John can sit with you today and watch us as we remember his journey here on earth. So Lord, I thank you for this time together and we just ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading from the obituary I'm gonna spare uh, all of us, y'all all know all the kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. There's a lot of them. So when I get to that part in the ob- obit, I'm just going to say, and all those people. So John Burton Eccles, Sr., 83, of College Station, passed away Thursday, May the 13th, 2021. John was born and raised on a family cotton farm in Snyder, Texas, by his dad, Tolly Burton, and mom, Maud Lane, DuBose Eccles. With his three sisters and one brother, and I believe Sister Mary is here today. I've met you in Hobbs, New Mexico. I'll talk about that trip in a minute. Times were tough growing up in a small house on a farm in the post-depression era, but God supplied all of their needs. There was a time when he was a kid. He had when he was a kid when he had one pair of jeans that his mom would clean and press every night and explains why later in life he would have his jeans pressed at the cleaners, and he did. I meant to put that in what I said today. He graduated from Snyder High School in 1955 and not long after started a career in the oil services industry. He started as a roustabout and advanced to product line manager and oil well cementing superintendent with BJ Services. Because he was a people person, wow, is that an understatement? Because he was a people person, he excelled at sales. In 1956, he married Anita Thomas, and they began raising a family of three kids. As he progressed in his career, the family moved many times in the oil patch of Texas and South Louisiana. In 1981, he started his own business and invented and developed and sold a fluids mixing and filtration device. He had a lot of success marketing and selling the device to oil service companies. His LinkedIn page reflected his education as a Ph.D. in oil field services at the School of Hard Knocks. He was baptized at River Oaks Baptist Church in Houston in 1990. In the mid-1990, he and Anita purchased land in Whitehall, right down the road here, east of Navasota, Texas. There were many, many good times on, on the farm with the kids and grandkids. It was called the uh, Whitehall Ranch, and and I remember the sign. It said grandkids and cattle. It's kind of, kind of a, Hopefully they weren't together at the same time in the pen. There were many good times at the farm with their kids and grandkids, and for a time they raised cows and chickens on the farm. He loved his family greatly, and he spoke proudly of his kids, his grandkids, and his great-grandkids. They were all his favorite. And John was preceded in death by his father, Tolly Burton, and by his mother, Maud Lane, and sisters, Edith Henderson and Janet Bigman, and his brother, Van Eccles. He is survived by Anita Eccles and his sister, Mary Baber, Uh, children, so on and so forth, grandchildren, and the kids are all here today. So we're so glad that you're all here today. We're going to take a minute, and I think, Clyde, have we not prepared a picture presentation? So, Tim, when you're ready, let's watch that.
1: Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
0: Tim, how great thou art. sims will now come up and read and then it'll be followed by amazing grace
1: i'm going to read and then i'm going to go a little off script and read something else oh i'm sorry hello okay um okay romans eight thirty-five through 39 who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's all I was supposed to read. But I had a long drive here. Um, and so I just wanted to say, but I'll, I'll be really, really brief. Um, so my husband and my uh, two kiddos. You have to be brave. What's that? You don't have to be brave. Be brave.
0: No, you don't have to be brief.
1: Oh, be brief! I thought you, said you don't have to be brave. I'm like, well, I do, because I'm about to lose it. Um All right. Well, I'll be somewhat brief. Okay. So my husband and my two uh, children could not be here, uh, but my second is uh, was born in November. Uh, So he's still little. And I think just like bringing children into the world and then saying goodbye to um, grandparents has just had me reflecting a lot lately on um, just family and the legacy that you uh, leave for future generations. And we know that family was something that obviously was super important to Papa, something he really um, just valued and prioritized. Um, And I think that um, that has just really had a profound impact on all of our lives, um, primarily because he chose to... Um, be faithful in knowing the Lord, and um, in teaching that to his children, and then to his children, and then to their children, and I'm trying to teach it to my children, um, and uh, I think it's just amazing to think that, Lord willing, that can just continue to happen for generation to generation, and um, I think it just really hit me, the weight of that um, that blessing that we were just born into this, and um, that is just like a really powerful thing. So there's a song that essentially says um, those things using scripture, but much more eloquently. And I am not going to sing it. Uh, but I thought I would just read the lyrics to you. Um, uh, it's all scripture, but the opening lyrics are specifically from number six. And the Lord is telling uh, the priest Aaron um, how he would like him to bless his people. So this is like a little thank you note for Papa. Um The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. I am not made of sturdy stuff. Uh, May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you and all around you and within you. For he is with you, he is with you. Um, in the morning, in the evening, in your coming and in your going, in your weeping and in your rejoicing, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. That's all. Amen. Thank you. Clyde.
0: Before the next hymn, uh, Tim, we're going to have a couple of folks come up and just share a few thoughts. Clyde, I think you were, and if anybody else has something particular on their heart, you, you wanted them to be able to express that as well. So come on up. Oh, I'm actually relaying
2: to you a, uh, a note that Jenny Copeland sent me Jenny Bigham Copeland she and I have become kind of secret friends, friends in the background um, so she couldn't come but she shared some, some thoughts with me I wanted to share with you she said your dad was by far my favorite uncle of course, she probably says that to those other uncles, too. Uh, I loved when he, came, when he would come visit Grandma. <coughs> he would always have this crazy funny, he would always have crazy funny stories about people I had never heard of. I suspect Grandma didn't know 50% of the people in them either. But you know Grandma, she just sat and listened to her sweet baby boy talk. My goodness, they had such a clear, close relationship. I'd love to put my head on his, on his belly as he told these stories. I remember his distinct full belly laugh and how he, well, how he smelled. For the longest time when I was growing up, I told him, Dad, I t- when, when I was growing up, I told Mom, Dad, Susan, Grandma, and many other people that when I grew up, I would marry Uncle John And I meant it. That's all I'm going to share. And if anyone else wants to share, feel free to.
0: Anybody else have anything particular that they would like to share? If not, we're going to go ahead and uh, put on Amazing Grace.
3: Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear.
0: would you please come up? There
1: we go. Okay. Psalm 23 verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake.
0: I didn't really realize that I was going to do a eulogy till last night, about 10, when I got your email, and it's great because I said, Lord, just bring into my mind memories of my friend John. That's what I did, and, and I thought, well, I'll go to bed, and I'm going to trust God that in the night he'll bring memories into my mind, and boy, did he, and it's so interesting. John Eccles was one of the first people that I ever met in Whitehall, and I don't remember exactly how it happened or when we first met him, but Anita, you and John came out to our house. When we were building our house, it was just, and I think we had a wood stove going. I was thinking about it. It was cold. must have been in February. And Anita and John just showed up. They said, we're your neighbors. They drove down our driveway and found us. And Sandy and I were delighted. And they talked chickens and kept talking chickens. And John told stories. And then he said, you know, we go to a little church over here, Union Grove Baptist Church. And we'd like to invite you to come. Isn't that funny? It's my first invitation to Union Grove Baptist was by John Eccles the time he was the treasurer here and this began a long friendship between ourselves and Anita and John and we began socializing as I said Anita loved chickens and I think you brought Sandy her first chickens here well you did you did Anita 20 years ago and you brought those chickens and y'all always discussed chickens and John and I talked about everything else we talked about the oil field drilling I had had an, uh, a drilling equipment company and that's kind of something in common that we had we made numerous visits over to their I think spectacular home that was here on 362 we all have great memories there I saw the porch I wanted to start crying and I'm not even part of the family you know <laughs> it, was, it was great and I and I had no idea. I wish I had seen this before I wrote the eulogy because now I see John's love for all of these kids and grandkids and you know whatever we can say about John Eccles today and Anita Eccles, the fact of the matter is, and this is amazing, they raised raised three kids. Where's Lindy? I hadn't seen. Oh, there you are. Uh, They raised three kids who love the Lord Jesus, who raised children who love the Lord Jesus. And I would venture to say that everybody in here is a believer. I don't know that, but I'm not going to preach a How to get saved sermon, even though I will say that, because I always say that. But I'm going to, now, Baber, don't tell me what I got to do. Uh, But I'm going to dwell on the second part of that. We're going to get to that in a minute. And that is my sermon for tomorrow, which is wrestling with God. Believers are the ones that wrestle with God. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But Sandy and I then, we didn't come to Union Grove. We decided we would go to First Baptist here in town where there was a program for our kids. And sometime after we became members, John and Anita left this little church, and they went to First Baptist. So we continued our friendship. Um, Sometime around 2000, I decided one morning to get up and go to McDonald's and open my Bible and to pray and to read the Bible there at McDonald's. And Scott Armstrong drove by and go, what you doing here? And I said, I'm reading my Bible and praying. Why don't you join me? So he said, okay. And he parked the car and got out and joined me. And Scott and I kind of started a Tuesday morning Bible study. And John started attending with us. And I know he was with us at least 10 or 15 years. Indeed, I don't remember. It was t- until y'all moved to College Station. We started off at McDonald's. And then we went to a local truck stop here. And we moved every couple of years, and John just attended, and I would see him every Tuesday and almost every day. John would go and visit a next-door neighbor of mine who's now deceased named Lou Simich. Y'all may have remembered him talking about Lou. And when I would go by and talk to Lou, <clears throat> he would tell me how sometimes he said John just got on his nerves. But he said I kept meeting with him because he, Lou felt that John was lonely and he needed a friend. John told me more than once that Lou got on his nerves. But he kept meeting with him because he felt Lou was lonely and needed a friend. <laughs> and I just surmised that both of them were lonely and needed a friend. But anyway, <clears throat> Lou had no spiritual hunger in his life. And John felt like if he spent enough time with Lou, something might rub off. And he just felt that way. It was funny, as, as worldly sometimes as John was, there was a side of John where he had this burden for Lou Simich, where he went there and just hoped something that he said would interest Lou in spiritual things. Early in our relationship, John told me that he had accepted the Lord, and he told me about being baptized at River Oaks Baptist Church. I forgot all about that till I read it in the obit, and he told me about his ministry there and the things that he and Anita had done, and and he told me that I think, I'm thinking, I'm remembering this, that didn't he take you, John, or Clyde, or some of y'all to Promise Keepers? You took him. Okay, yeah, you took him. And John always said that that greatly impacted his life. And so John John Sr. looked to John Jr., sort of really kind of to provide him a pathway into Christ likeness. As we know, just coming to the Lord, you're saved, but it doesn't mean that you're Christ like. So he. Continually talked about John, and he talked about how John helped him in that thing. And many, many times, he told me that he would be on the phone with John, and then he would talk to me about it later. And he would just say, "You know, John really helps me to get grounded spiritually. He helps me to get back when I wander off in the weeds." And so, I just want you to know that's another testimony to a couple who must have done something right because their kids honored them, and you know, there are not many kids that honor their parents these days but you honored him, and you respected him, and you looked after him, and he would talk about that as how proud he was at the work. Basically, that was the time, John, when you were over at the Christian school, I think in the woodlands. I never could quite get it right. You had been at an oil and gas company that we won't mention, and you ended up at this Christian school, and I thought, wow, what a neat guy that he would do that. I did. Then I met John a little bit after that. He often talked also about his work in the oil field. He had an amazingly sharp mind. If you knew John, it was kind of astonishing, really. He was accomplished in his field, and uh, to me, there is no doubt that he had an engineer's mind. I don't know if it would be a mud engineer or a petroleum engineer. John was an engineer, and he was an an amazing blend of an engineer mixed with a salesman's personality. It was just because he was a people person. I thought that maybe he had gotten a degree in mechanical engineering, or I thought maybe possibly he was an engineer from some sort of specialty. And when I asked him about it, I could tell that it really bothered him that he had never had the opportunity to pursue a formal education. It just bothered him. And it shouldn't have because he was so accomplished, but I think in a way it kind of made him feel inferior and inferior, and made him feel like it was just something that a burden that he should have done. And I think it's one of the reasons. That he was so proud of his three kids because all of you all accomplished things and got an education he told me uh all about your training and, and you're going to hear things you never knew one day he got me in the car and he drove me over to salado texas lindy to see where you worked in a, in a dentist office yeah. he was that proud he said this is where she works and not only that Faber. she's been married to the same guy for i don't know how many umpteen years he told me at the time but he was proud of the fact that you had stayed married, you had married, and that you were a dental, whatever you did with it. He never told me. He just said, this is where she works, and she goes there every day, and, and this is her career. And then he would always talk about Clyde. He was ultra-proud of Clyde. And Clyde, you would be embarrassed to know that I'm a totally, probably totally the most aware person of everything in your career path. I know every step as to where you were, where you were working, what you were doing, how you were a consultant. I knew even how much you made per hour (laughs) because he made sure that I knew that. He said, can you imagine someone paying my son X number of dollars an hour? I mean, it it just blew his mind that y'all had become so educated and so capable, and it was something he was really proud of. One afternoon, I stopped back by Lou's house. This is Lou Simich, who's now deceased, and Lou told me, I am so sick and tired of hearing about John's kids and his grandkids, and if he doesn't stop talking about them, Faber, I'm going to tell him not to come over here anymore. He would just blab on and on and on and on and on, and it's just part of the way he was, even in our men's Bible study. I would have to curb him sometimes, and it would get him mad. Sometimes he'd kind of leave. I guess he felt like it was his Bible study, and we should listen to everything he had to say. But it was a a good time, and he was a good friend. I know all of this sounds kind of weird, but that's the way life is in the country. John liked to talk. John really liked to talk, and he would talk to anyone who would listen. I guess what I can tell you from all that is that John was a great communicator. He had a great work ethic, and he loved his family. He loved his family so much that I met and heard about all of y'all before I even met you. I knew about the Babers. I knew about John or, or about uh, Guy. Guy's your name, right? Guy Baber. There was Guy Baber Jr., Guy Baber III, Guy Baber IV, Guy Baber V, but I think Guy Baber IV, John somehow found out that Guy Baber IV and Faber Francis McMullen IV, my son, were in the same dorm together. It just was funny, but he just—I knew all about the Babers before I ever went to Hobbs. I wanted to understand John better, so one day I said, "John, take me out to West Texas and show me where you're from." We planned a trip in that immaculate silver pickup that he had. I mean, it was everything he had was immaculate. John was a neat freak. I wish he were here now where he could come and organize all my tools. But he would just get disgusted and run off. That's what he would do. He wouldn't probably help me. But we packed up in that beautiful silver truck. He picked me up before daylight, and we left for West Texas. We got to Snyder, and I thought, wow, this is kind of a barren place. But we got to Snyder. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it was it was pretty barren. And so we got there, and he drove me all around that day, and he took me and he showed me Snyder, where he went to high school. He showed me where Anita went to high school. And then he said, I want to take you to some other place. And he drove me out of town. It was about three or four miles out of town, Mary. And I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, what I'm going to say. And he drove me out, and he parked in front of a broken-down old farmhouse. It was bare standing in the prairie and it had an old windmill off to its side it was on its left side I took a picture of that and someone may have that picture do you have that John it's a very very cool picture of John by that childhood home and we went up to the old house and as I say it looked like a big shack and he said well here it is and I said well here's what John what is what is this and he said this is where I grew up and frankly I was kind of stunned I'm not saying that It just was stunning to me that he grew up in what looked to me like a little weathered shack, okay? Uh, It looked like one of those old houses you see when you're going along an old highway out of some out-of-the-way place, like you're on the way from Somerville to, you know, Cameron, and you see this old house, and you wonder, who lived there, and were there memories there, and what did the people talk about? Mary's pointing to herself. You were there in that house. You were there. And so I said to him, we looked at it for a while, and we walked around the back, and I said, John, I bet it really looked beautiful back in the day when it had paint on it. And he said, Faber, it never had paint on it. I was, I was stunned, I'm telling you. I imagine it is a pretty white house all painted. He said, Faber, there was never paint on it. And, uh, and I just sat in silence. And then he told me about spending hundreds of hours on a, I think it was, he said, a 9 in tractor that his dad had. Was it a 9N or an 8N? But he said he he did that and did that and did that until finally he realized this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. And he began to get a job in the oil field and all that. He said, and, and I didn't say much, and then he said, you know, I really didn't realize we were poor until I went into town and I heard people talking about us. He said, we were happy and we had what we needed, but I just didn't realize that we just had nothing compared to what the world had. Uh, we then left that place And he took me to a nursing home there He said I want you to come in And I want you to meet my mother and, and you guys don't even know That we've made this trip And so he took me in And I don't remember what he called his mom It was sweetie Or he didn't call her mom or mama But he leaned over the bed And he picked her up And he looked her in the eyes He says mama I love you And he gave her a big kiss And, uh, and then we left we drove off in silence John didn't have much to say it was a rarity and uh, I looked over and I think he had tears in his eyes and uh, maybe 10 minutes later he says I just don't think my mother has much longer he says and oh I wish the Lord would take her home he says I can't bear to see her laying there like that he loved her enough and he had confidence that she was going to go to heaven and I just listened and I thought that was interesting uh He was hardworking, he was family-loving, and he was from a place that didn't give much without a lot of hard work. I could tell that about Snyder, I'm sorry, but when you look at Whitehall, how things grow, I could tell if you want it to grow in Snyder, you better put some water on it and you better do something with it. I don't know if it was his lack of formal education, I don't know if it was early parenting, I don't know if it was the, the dark moods that he would sometimes get into, but I think John sometimes listened to the lie in his mind that he just wasn't good enough, that there just wasn't enough there. I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, he took me either to Midland or Odessa, I can't remember, and showed me the house where you guys first had your kids. Was that Odessa or Midland? Or? And we drove all around it and looked at it, and he explained to it, and he told me what Mojo meant or whatever the school, high school team. I just remember that now. I'm remembering things about John as I put all this together. He said they got married early. He said, and we just jumped into life together. He said, Faber, we were kids. He said, we just didn't know anything. And we ended up here, and we lived in this house, and I went to work in the oil field. We then went to Hobbs, New Mexico, to visit the Baber family. I think John's sister, Mary, married the Babers. I couldn't remember your name this morning. We stayed in an old motor court kind of motel there in in Hobbs, And we left at daylight the next morning. John never stopped except to get gas. And we made it back to Whitehall in the early afternoon. I mean, it was about one when we got here. I was stunned that we had driven from New Mexico to Whitehall, Texas in a morning. John could get to places quicker than anyone I've ever known. And he said the secret was to always keep moving. It was sort of the way John lived his life. He always just kept moving that was sort of the thing about John that I think also was his Achilles heel and we're going to get real here today I love John enough and John told me he wanted me to preach his funeral none of y'all even know that isn't that interesting and it's funny how that happened did you know that Anita yeah John was a restless person he was restless We don't have a really good word in English to say that, but I'm a Spanish speaker, and we use the word inquieto in Spanish, kind of where someone is antsy. You know, they're antsy. They're just unsettled. John had trouble sometimes, other than when his family was with him, to see the beauty of the situation right in front of him. It's like he kept on this quest looking and looking. Uh, It was an oddity about him. Uh, I want everyone now to listen closely to what I'm going to say. John, from the time I met him, continually wrestled with God. John knew the Lord, but John wrestled with God about his life. He told me all kinds of things about his life. He wrestled about his marriage. He told me what he had intended to do in his marriage. He wrestled about what his place was in the community. He called himself a self-appointed mayor, remember, (laughs) of Whitehall. Uh, He... He wrestled. It was just something kind of interesting. Um, that's good. It's good to wrestle with God. But when we wrestle with God, and listen, to every believer in here, make sure you don't fight so hard that God just backs down and lets you win. Y'all hear what I'm saying? When we wrestle with God about things, we go to His Word. You say, God, what would you do in order that I could be more Christ like? What can I do, Lord? For me to become conformed to the image of Christ. Our Christian journey is a three-stage journey. It's it's justification. That's when we're saved. It's sanctification. That's when we become more and more Christ-like. And it's glorification. Just because you, Guy Baber, told me to do it, I'm going to do that now, even though it's in my paper. Sanctification, Guy, is a free gift from the Lord. That's salvation. That is being made holy before God. It is positional truth that we are holy before the Lord when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross when we realize that we're being very close to what God calls what Jesus called blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God it's when the Holy Spirit it puts us under conviction of our sinfulness and then salvation is freely available to us by just believing the gospel is very simple if you don't know what the gospel is and you're here, I'm going to tell you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you are saved. You will be saved. That's Romans ten nine. I sum this up to my congregation by saying in here, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When we think it's Jesus plus something, it gets real wonky and weird. Then people add all kinds of stuff that we've got to do. The moment you believed, the Bible says that each of us received the Holy Spirit of God within us in all of its entirety, of his entirety. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I can have power over sin. We cannot do this in our flesh. And John did this part. John accepted the Lord. John was sanctified before God, and John was assured of his place in heaven. Sanctification is the second stage that means becoming Christ-like and this is where John and all of us struggle, okay? Paul urges the church in Ephesus, be imitators of God. I think it's it's Ephesians 5:1. He is saying this to people that are already saved. And guys, this is the part that's hard work. Paul calls it putting off of the old put the old man off and putting on the new man. This is the area where John Eccles had his greatest battles and where he wrestled with God. You see, this requires that a believer submit daily and submit that old sin nature to the power of God. Our default mode is always to go to what in the book of Galatians are called the deeds of the flesh. We just revert back to anger and and strife and those things that are listed there. And it is only through the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 after that section where we see what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, peace, self-control. So, you know, all of us sometimes are operating in the flesh and all of us sometimes are operating in the Spirit. That's the way it works. And the key to putting on the new man is to operate in the Spirit. That is when we are transformed into the very likeness of Jesus. John and I talked about this and he would tell me, and listen closely, and it might have been just a joke, he would say, the problem with sin is it's just so fun. Doesn't that sound like him? And I would say back to him, and he might have been joking. He probably wasn't teasing, but I would say, yes, John, but it's only fun for a moment, and it always never satisfies. It never gives what it promises. Can you amen that? It doesn't. The world never delivers on its promises, Okay, it may be fun for a moment, but it will eat you up. It will enslave you. It will put you in bondage. And scripture tells us that with the power of God, we can each take control, captive our our wild imaginations. What I call it about is crazy thinking. So when we're involved in crazy thinking, each of us, and you are going to be involved in crazy thinking, you may go, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Because you still have the old nature within you. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What are the weapons of our warfare? Ephesians 6 tells us, put on the whole armor of God. They are spiritual weapons, okay? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then listen, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what I want to talk about here. Is we see, saw man wrestle with that. And some days he took it captive, and other days he didn't. And it's, it's a warning to us, an encouragement to us, let's don't win in the wrestling match with God. Let him win, right? I mean, I hope this is okay saying all this. I urge you today to ask God to help you to bring every disobedient thought into captivity. It means you ask God to help pull down the strongholds of discontent, of uh, discouragement, and to pull down the, of of restlessness. You know, we can have peace in the Lord if we just rest in what he's given us. Amen? I heard a Baptist out there say amen. So if we submit to him, let him remove the restlessness and brokenness that finds its way into our broken human hearts. It will lead each of us to a more happy and peaceful life. We don't have to fight these spiritual battles on our own in ephesians 6 i've just told you we are told to put on how much of the armor of god the whole armor of god not a piece not this piece put on the whole armor of god why that we may be able to stand firm against the the wiles of the devil all right and in all he says stand firm tomorrow morning i'm preaching on the wrestling with god you know it's okay to wrestle with god Abraham wrestled with God. Remember when Abraham said, Lord, look, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What if there's 45 people that are righteous? The Lord said, okay, well, I'll spare it if there's 45. You don't think God knew that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He already knew that, but he gave Abraham the dignity to get into a wrestling match with him. So believer, I'm telling you, it's okay to wrestle with God. David did it all the time. He would wrestle with God. God, you're not here when I need you. God, why aren't you doing the things that I want you to do? I remember being here six months and we had no music help and I finally got in a wrestling match with God it was really funny I said okay Lord fine it's your reputation this is your church it's your reputation if you want lousy music it's on you God and I I promise you I prayed that I'm not exaggerating so God said okay so the next week he sent me a music minister a guy I met at Hillco and he's still here isn't that crazy how odd of God. And then we saw Isaac wrestle with God. Remember, Isaac's, I don't know how old he was when Abraham took him. And he stuck all the wood on him. He said, we're going to go up and, you know, we're going to have a sacrifice. And Isaac at least was young enough to outrun his 100-year-old dad. I know that. But he didn't do it. He submitted to what his father was going to do. He trusted his, his dad enough. He said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? God's going to provide the sacrifice. And that's where the term Yahweh Jirah came from okay or some people say Jehovah Jirah so and then we see Jacob and Jacob is what I'm preaching on tomorrow Jacob was a manipulator and I'm not saying John was a manipulator but we're all manipulators when we're acting in the flesh aren't we we're ugly we're not what we're supposed to be and Jacob was a grabber he was he was out to get what Esau had from the get-go he tricked him into a birthright remember when Esau was hungry He said, oh, if you give me your birthright, then I'll give you a bowl of porridge and all this weird stuff. And then later on, he and Rebecca, his mom, cook up this whole scheme to pretend that he's Esau, putting fur on his arms and cooking up a goat, pretending it was venison. And he was a schemer. And Jacob, the Bible tells us, accumulated a whole lot of stuff. He accumulated all this stuff, but eventually people got tired of him. And in... Genesis 32, we read that, that Laban, that's the father-in-law, was after him because he ended up running off with all the good livestock. Esau was coming at him. And it's so interesting. I didn't see it till this week. It says, and Jacob sent his wives over the Jabbok River along with everything he had. It's really interesting. In other words, Jacob was left with nothing. And when he was left at nothing and he was exhausted and he was tired of tricking and grabbing and running and doing and scheming, what happened? It says that a man came and wrestled with him in the night. And now we know it was God. God somehow sent an angel, somebody, but a strange alien of some kind, wrestled with Jacob all night long. And Jacob, and I think it's interesting to know that you've got to be in an intimate relationship already with God to wrestle with God. That's important to remember. You may think, well, it's wrong for me to wrestle. You at least know God enough, you're going to get in a wrestling match. And that's something, right? So he wrestled with this angel. And then it says when daylight came, the angel was saying, let go of me, let go of me. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let go of you unless you bless me. And it says that the angel touched him on his hip and made him lame so that he would always remember. He would give him this affliction. And then he let him go and and the angel blessed him. He blessed him after the wrestling. So it's okay to wrestle. And I think one of the points of this today is John wrestled with God. Sometimes John won, and that was a bad thing, okay? But most of the time, I think God won, and that was a good thing. Because John raised three great kids, was married to you, what, 50 years? Loved his family, surrounded himself. If you don't believe it, watch the pictures we just watched. This was a wonderful person. And I wish I had just appreciated him more than I even did as much as i appreciated him you know we wanted our own way all of us do and we want our own way because yeah sin is fun we could say that we want our own way because we just want our own way and we're rebellious and we're selfish but the lord provides a way for each of us to wrestle with him to depend on his word and when we do just like that angel did god blesses us after the wrestling match i just think that's what we need to remember John wrestled, man. He did. But you know what? In the end, God won. Because John Eccles is seated with him in glory. And that's the third part of our journey. It's glorification. I don't know if he can watch us. I kind of think he can. And it's a glorified John that is just young again. He's he's in perfect condition again. He's got his total mind again. And uh, I just, but, but, but. Knowing that we can wrestle and let God win, it just gives us more peace in our lives. He's healthy, he's whole, he's young, he awaits each of us to join him there. Now, I want to say why John asked me to preach his funeral. Twelve years ago, I didn't remember this till I was putting on my shoes to come right now. I preached a funeral of a guy that John could not stand, and John came all the way to town To watch the funeral, he said, I came to look in the casket to make sure the beep is dead. You you can fill in the beep, okay? And I kind of chuckled and I preached with all my heart the words that God gave me to preach about him. And John came up to me afterwards. He says, Man, you've got to preach my funeral. He says, Because I came here hating the guy's guts, and I left now thinking he's just the most wonderful person in the world. (laughs) That was classic John Eccles. He was my friend. I loved him. He was my neighbor. I loved him, and he loved me in spite of my deficiencies, and I loved him, and I miss him. I miss his mind. Uh, oh, what a great mind he had. What an interesting guy. What a never met a stranger. He's probably the most communicative, people friendly person I've ever met in my life. So, right now, someone in heaven is saying, if he doesn't stop talking about his kids and his grandkids, I'm going to ask him not to come in here anymore. So let's go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you, John, for everything. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for John. Thank you for the things he taught me and, Lord, how he loved his family. And, Lord, he loved you. And, Lord, he was just like the rest of us. We're we're trying and we wrestle with you. So, Lord, I pray that as we leave, we'll remember his wrestling matches, and Lord, we'll we'll be intent on letting you win those. And Lord, we look for you to bless us just like you did Jacob, and you changed his name to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And Lord, I'm comforted that you have a new name for every one of us, and John already has his name and knows that name. That's what it tells us in the book of Revelation, and so Lord, we look forward to being with him again and being with you in heaven. And I pray all of this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. This concludes our service. And I think from what I heard, we're now going to move in to have some of the greatest barbecue in the world. Clyde, you want to You can give us a hymn tim i, I, I was just oh do, do you want to see those slides he can do them. go ahead and put can you put the powerpoint back up Oh, I, we have all the confidence in the world Well, he he loved you guys. He loved all of y'all. I got confused by how many how many grandkids are there in this family? How many? Ten. And how many great grandkids? Five. It sure sounded like more when he talked about him. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like Jacob going down to Egypt with everybody. Let's give Tim just another second. And I want to say, too, while I, I can, while you're all together, thank you for choosing to do this at Union Grove. It's a great honor. The last uh, service we had here was for my mother, the last funeral service. So it's really nice to get to have a few words to say about John. You're welcome. Tim, we to go, or... in the country, y'all just have to slow down. While that's well, that's playing, let's just head on into the fellowship hall, y'all, and have some Your barbecue. On earth was trouble.
4: Only you could know.